listen, I, I really am excited to be sharing this word today to kick off this series upside down. And you can see that the tagline is thinking God's way. So let me just lay this out from the beginning. In order to think God's way, whose way do we have to stop thinking? Our own way, right? So obvious, but so hard. If we want to think God's way, it is going to require, as Pastor said, a mindset shift. Everything's going to have to flip upside down. And that's why we have the decor the way we do as a visual reminder of what this is all about. We're going upside down. Listen, we're going to be talking about one word throughout this entire series. It is a word that has really changed my life. It's a word I've known probably all of my life, but I didn't really understand until recent years. It's the word kingdom. Y'all say kingdom. kingdom. When we are in a geography class or when we're in a history, social studies class, and we study the word kingdom, it doesn't mean the same thing that it means in the Bible, does it? When we're studying it as children, we learn that a kingdom is an area, a territory, a geographical region that is ruled by a monarch, right? It's ruled by a king, it's ruled by a queen. Throughout the Old Testament, even, it's referred to that way. It's an earthly territory. But what happens in the New Testament is that Jesus comes in, and as he does with everything, he takes that word, that concept of kingdom, and he flips it upside down. So no longer is a kingdom just an earthly territory, but a spiritual one. No longer is it ruled by a human being, but it is ruled by the divine being. You see, the word kingdom takes a shift in the New Testament. I want you to take a look at this map here. This is a map of what Jesus' audience probably would have thought about when he first started using the word kingdom, when the kingdom was first brought up. This is a map of the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah, as it would have been back in the day, all these other kingdoms around it. So when he said kingdom, they have a picture in their mind. But what Jesus does is he says, you got to forget what you thought you knew. You've got to forget the way that you've always seen things, the way that you've always experienced things, the way that you've always done things. Everything shifts now because I'm here, and I define things differently. So when John the Baptist comes on the scene, he's Jesus' cousin, he starts introducing the, the fact that Jesus is coming with a new message. This is what he says. He says to the people, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, we're probably going to revisit that term, repent, in a little while. But what he's saying to them is, look, if you're, going to, if you're going to be part of the kingdom, you've got to repent. Pastor talked about this um, in the first service a little bit. He said that the word repent means to return to the top. That's a change, right? Going upside down, we're, we're shifting. So John tells the people, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And then Jesus himself says, my kingdom is not of this world. Y'all need to write that down. Y'all got to commit that to memory. His kingdom is not of this world. If it were, his servants would be trying to prevent the arrest that then leads to his crucifixion. He says, but my, my kingdom is from another place, not another geographical location, not another political area. No, my kingdom is from outside of this world. His kingdom is not a physical place that you can see. And look at this. I love this passage. It says, Once, having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus says the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. It's not going to come because you're looking for it. You can't look and say here it is or there it is because the kingdom 
is within you. The kingdom of God as it currently stands is an invisible kingdom. It is not yet one that you can see. You can't go to a map. You can't plug in kingdom of God on your GPS and get there, right? It's invisible. It's within us. It's within those of us who follow Jesus. Now listen, there are very few things in our world that are black and white these days. There's a lot of gray area. There's a lot of debate. There's a lot of confusion. But I want you to understand that this is black and white, that you and I and every person who has ever been or will ever be born is born into a kingdom that is not the kingdom of God. We are born into the kingdom of darkness. How do we know that? Because we are all born sinful. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We cannot be in the kingdom of God as sinners without a transformation having taken place. You did not get born into the kingdom of God because you got born in the Bible Belt, somebody. Because your mama went to church doesn't mean that you are in the kingdom of God. Just because you're sitting in a chair in a church this morning does not mean that you are in the kingdom of God. You and I are sinners, and the only way we enter into the kingdom of God is that we are saved by grace. We can't choose to enter the kingdom of God on our own. We can't work our way there. We can't get there through hard work. We can only get there through the sacrifice of a Savior. It's really hard for a lot of people to understand that just because they are a, quote, good person or they behave morally, that they can't still enter the kingdom of God. That's not what gets you into the kingdom of God. We can't earn our way in there. You are not, by the way, a good person. Hate to step on your toes. None of us are, right? We are all falling short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. You know who no one includes? You and me. I'll turn it back on myself. There is no one righteous. And not only are we not good people, we are also a dead people without Jesus. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the kingdom of darkness, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Not only are we born into the kingdom of darkness, but the kingdom of darkness has a ruler, has a person, not a person, has a, a being who reigns. His name is Satan and he is your enemy. Every kingdom has a ruler. And so the question before every person at some point in his or her life is, which kingdom am I going to be in? Because you will be born into and remain in the kingdom of darkness. That is where your natural citizenship lies until and unless you transfer your citizenship, until and unless you follow another ruler. So this morning, if you have come in here and you are trying to see what this whole religion thing is about and you're trying to figure out who Jesus is, let me make sure you understand, and I say this with conviction, not to condemn you but to free you, that you are without Jesus in the kingdom of darkness, but there is hope. There is a way out of that kingdom into the kingdom of God, but there is only one way, and his name is Jesus we are saved through grace. And this is what we are taught in Scripture. I tell you the truth, no one, even a good person, 
even a well-behaved person, even a moral person. No one can see the kingdom unless he is born again. You see, you are naturally born into darkness. You are born again into light. How are you born again? Through surrendering everything that you are to the lordship of Jesus Christ who sacrificed his life to be sin for you so that you could escape darkness and move into the light. But I want to say something this morning that I think is the reason I have had a pit in my stomach for a couple of days, especially this morning. And that is being saved and stepping into the kingdom of God is only the beginning. I think there is a misconception, there is a wrong perception in churches today that being saved is all that you need to be. You enter the kingdom of darkness, but that is not the final product that you are, a saved person. You then go through the entirety of your life becoming more righteous, becoming more like Jesus, surrendering more of who you are. You can be saved and you can go to heaven when you die, but you can still not be living for the kingdom. Listen, you can be in the kingdom and not of it. Just because I go to Japan doesn't make me Japanese, right? Just because I step foot in a gym doesn't mean that I'm an athlete. Just because I sit in a car doesn't mean that I'm a vehicle, right? You can be in something but not be it. You can be in the kingdom saved but not be a kingdom pursuer. And that, I believe, is what's wrong with the church today. That is why I believe that we have this conception of what evangelical Christianity is in America and it looks nothing like the kingdom of God. Y'all don't want to get me started. Saying you're saved doesn't mean you're a kingdom person. So what does it mean to be a kingdom person? That's the question, right? I always thought it was enough to be, a, be saved. Jeannie, what are you saying? Are you saying that's good enough, not good enough? I'm not saying it's not good enough. I'm saying it's not all. And don't you want all of what God has for you? So if you're going to be a kingdom person, you've got to understand that church does not equal kingdom. You showing up on a Sunday morning does not mean that you are seeking first the kingdom of God. It means you went to church. Sitting in a chair in a church building is just you sitting in a chair in a church building, right? What do you do the rest of the week when you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and it looks like the world's going to hell in a handbasket? What do you do then? How do you pursue the kingdom in the midst of that? Do you get on your face before God? Do you spend time in the Word of God apart from Sunday morning? I am preaching. Because I'm here to tell you for a while I didn't. When I first got saved, I didn't really understand what it meant to have time with Jesus. In the rest of your week, what does your thought life look like? Does it look like the kingdom of darkness or does it look like the kingdom of light? If I were to look, if we still kept checkbooks and we wrote down where things went, if I were to look at your checkbook, does it look like your finances are going to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of your belly, the kingdom of your entertainment, the kingdom of your pursuit? You see, every choice that we make, everything that we do reveals which kingdom we are living for. Now listen to me. You can be saved and never move back into the kingdom of darkness, but you can still be living the ways of the kingdom of darkness. 
How do I know? I've been there. I was saved, but I was seeking Jenny. I was saved, but I was doing things my way. I was saved, but I did not understand what it meant to pursue the kingdom of my Savior. So if we're going to be in the kingdom and not just in the church, we got to do what the Bible says, which is a novel idea, isn't it? Do not be conformed to this world. Y'all, when people look at us, they need to look at us like we're looking at this giraffe. Like, why is he upside down? We are not supposed to look like the rest of this world. When people see us and they hear us and they encounter us, we are not to look like everybody else they know. And it preaches really good, but when you're out there by yourself and you're the only one who doesn't look like the rest of this world, that's when it gets real hard. But that's what it means to pursue the kingdom. If we think about the fact that we are naturally born into the kingdom of darkness, that's who we are, that's our instinct, we don't have to try really hard to be conformed to it, do we? That's what comes naturally. When somebody messes with me or messes with one of my babies, y'all better watch out. The kingdom of darkness is coming out because that's what nat- what's natural. We have to be retrained, reprogrammed not to be conformed to this world and not only to not be conformed to it, but not to love it and its things Sometimes it's really fun to be worldly, isn't it? Sometimes it's really fun to get as many cool new possessions as you can because it fills up that empty spot. You click buy now on Amazon Prime, somebody. It feels real good, doesn't it? Shows up at your house two, maybe some one day later because they own it these days. Sometimes it feels really good to be worldly, to love the things of the world. But it only feels good temporarily because there still comes a point where there's an emptiness inside of you and you go, you know what? This world is not going to fill that up. Do not conform yourselves to the world. Do not love the things of the world. That's what it means to pursue kingdom, to reject what everybody else is chasing after. That's what it means to be a kingdom person. To be a kingdom person, there must be a shift in what you seek. Let me tell you all about Jenny. Jenny loves some sleep. I do. I always have. I used to go spend the night at my best friend's house growing up, and she would always be up early. She'd have had played Barbies and had breakfast and done all the things before I ever woke up because I'm a person who needs some sleep. Josh Scott is somewhere going, amen, she needs her sleep. But if I'm going to seek the kingdom above all else, guess who has to set her alarm to get her tail up out of bed and spend some time with the Lord? It's natural for me to sleep. It's natural for me to want to be comfortable, to snuggle up in my bed, roll over and pretend like the alarm's not blaring. But to be a kingdom person, i got to go against what comes naturally. There has to be a shift in what I seek, and that's just a silly example. But what about the things that I watch? What about the things that I listen to, the conversations I have, the places I go, where I spend my money? Everything in my life has to shift. It has to flip upside down if I'm going to truly be a kingdom person. Otherwise, guess what I am? A hypocrite. Otherwise, I'm a person who says one thing and does another thing and confuses the world instead of brings them closer to the kingdom. There has to be a shift in what we seek. I want you to look at a story from Scripture. 
of a man who encountered Jesus and was given the opportunity to shift his life. This is the story of the rich young ruler from Mark. Take a look at what it says. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. It's a posture of surrender, right? Falls on his knees before him like he's begging for something. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Are you asking that question this morning? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? It's a universal question, right? Jesus says to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone, not even me. You know the commandments. This is so true of many of us, right? We know what it says. Don't murder. Okay, got that. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He's, he's naming the Ten Commandments here, right? You know the things to do. And this man says, Teacher, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. Time out. Really? All of them? That would be my question. Time back in. Jesus looked at him and loved him, even if what he had just said wasn't true. He looks at him and he loves him because he knows what's coming next. So he says to this man, one thing you lack. How many things? It can just be one thing, y'all, that keeps you from the kingdom. Just one. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Now listen, is Jesus saying that to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be destitute? You can have zero possessions. You can have no money. Now, why does he attack this one thing? Because it's that guy's one thing. It's his hang up. It is his thing that is the idol in front of him. It is what he is worshiping. And so Jesus goes there. If you're going to be a kingdom person, you've got to understand that Jesus is going to go there with you. He's going to point out some things in your life. He is going to bring what was in the darkness into the light to expose it so it can be gotten rid of. He says, that's what you lack. Do that, then come and follow me. And the man's face fell. Why did it fall? He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus attacked him in the area of his greatest struggle. Jesus looked around and said to the disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. You could fill in the blank there with whatever your hang-up is, how hard it is for you to enter the kingdom of God because of that. What is your that? What is it that is standing between you and the kingdom this morning? It might be a good thing, but if it's not a God thing, it needs to be a gone thing, right? What is standing between you and the kingdom this morning? I'm not saying this, guys, to shame you, but we all have something. You could have been saved for 25 years, and there's still something that is keeping you from being directly in pursuit of the kingdom. And the hard part about staying in pursuit of the kingdom is that we have an enemy who is so cunning and sly and tricky that he works in ways that are almost imperceptible and we fail to see the ways in which he is working until it's almost too late. Have y'all ever had that experience where you look up and go, how in the world did I get here? How did that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It's a slow fade. It's like when you're in the ocean and you start drifting away and you look up and your chairs and your tent are gone. And you're going, what happened? That didn't move, you did. Slowly, imperceptibly, while you're having fun 
while you're splashing out in the waves, doing your thing, you begin to drift. And that is what can happen in the kingdom pursuit if we are not careful If we are not constantly asking God, hey, show me where I am in alignment with you. Reveal to me the things that are shifting my perspective. Just like the rich young ruler in this story, we have to understand there will always be personal cost in pursuing the kingdom. There will always be a cost. might not be financial. It might be a cost of your sleep. It might be a cost of your fun. It might be a cost of some relationships. There will be a cost. This is why Jesus tells people, before you follow me, you better count the cost. Count the cost. We're building something. You better know how much it's going to cost before you agree. Because otherwise, you're going to jump into it and say, I can't do this. And you're going to walk away with your face downfalling like this rich young ruler. Count the cost. There will always be cost in pursuing the kingdom. We have to understand what Scripture says in Isaiah. That if we're going to think God's way, it's not our way. Because his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. They are higher than our own. It's so easy for me to say that. But in the middle of my week when I'm having to make decisions, it's a lot more difficult to go, God, what is your thought on this instead of what I think? What is your perception of this instead of what comes naturally to me? To be a kingdom person means we have to unlearn what we've been taught. We have to go against our instincts. We have to choose not to pursue the things that naturally come to us. There is a cost in pursuing the kingdom. I said a minute ago that the enemy of our lives works in very sneaky ways. We know that. We've all experienced it. But I want to show you a story from Scripture that makes how he works abundantly clear And it also serves as a warning to us if we are going to pursue the kingdom, what we have to be aware of, okay? I want y'all, if you have your Bibles, to turn to the book of Jude, which is almost at the very end, right before Revelation. Very, very short book of the Bible. I did a study on this book um, a couple of months ago, and it was a very intense, long study, which seems crazy because this is a book that's only one chapter. It's pretty short, but there's a lot packed into it. And essentially what's happening in this book is that Jude, who is a half-brother of Jesus, he didn't follow Jesus while Jesus was alive. It was only afterwards that he actually began following him. He, he becomes a disciple, an apostle, and he is somebody who is telling people about Jesus. And he writes this letter to new believers. He writes this letter to people who are following Jesus, and it is a warning. It was a warning to them then, and I believe to us today. I want you to look at the first couple of verses. Whenever you read a letter in the Bible, there's always an introduction. And this is the introduction from Jude. He says, I, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ. Can y'all imagine having to say that you're a servant of your brother or sister? That's a whole different message right there, isn't it? Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. That's who it's from. To those who have been called, who were loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. A letter always was who it's from, who it's to, and a blessing on them. It's from Jude. It's to those who have been called, loved, and kept by Jesus. And I I don't know that this is a fact, but it's just my thought. The reason why he reminded those people of who they are is because he's about to confront some things in their lives. 
Sometimes when we're in the middle of our activity, in the middle of doing what we do, it's very easy to forget our identity, isn't it? It's easy to forget our identity in the midst of our activity. So Jude reminds these people, you are called, you are loved, you are kept. Now, let's get to business. And that's what he does. He says, dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Have you ever had an experience like that where you really would like to just talk about the newest thing you watched on Netflix, but God is impressing on you, you know, you need to talk about this with him? That's what happened to Jude. I want to write to you about the great news about the salvation, but I've got to tell you what you need to do, and that is to contend for the faith. I want you to think about what the word contend means. If you're a contender, it means you're a fighter, right? Like you're in it, you're going after it. And so he tells them you have to contend, to struggle, to fight, to go after the faith. And one of the things that's so interesting in that phrase, contend for the faith, is it doesn't say just contend for your faith, but to contend for the faith, which means the entirety of the Christian doctrine. Everything that we as a group of believers believe, you have to stand up for our collective faith. Doesn't that feel like a charge for the church today? This isn't just about you, it's about us. It's about what we believe as a whole. You have to contend for it. You have to struggle for it. Now listen, not just fight, because we've all seen what happens on a street corner when somebody's just fighting for it, right? There is no fruit of the Spirit on display. There is no love. There's no peace. There is no self-control in a lot of them. That's not what it means to contend for the faith. It means to fight with fruit. Contend for the faith that was entrusted to all of us. I want you all to think about that. Everything Jesus did, everything he taught, everything that he came for is in your hands. Not just yours alone, though, ours. What will our generation do with the faith that was entrusted to all of us? We have to contend for it. Against whom? These people. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. Remember, he's writing to Christians. And he says, these people have secretly slipped in. And what have they done? They're godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Do y'all remember a few minutes ago when I talked about that slow fade? How it's like drifting in the ocean? That's what's happening in this group of believers. There's been a slow fade, an almost imperceptible shift because these people have come in and they are teaching things that are just slightly contrary to what Jesus said. So that's who we're contending against. And you might ask yourself, why? How did that happen? If this is a group of Christians, how did they not notice? This is how. Look at what it says in other parts of the Bible. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Guys, a wolf doesn't always look like a wolf in your life or in the church, right? It puts on the clothing of sheep. It looks like, oh, it's not going to harm me. This is going to be fine. If I do this, nobody will notice. It's a slow fade. It's a gradual shift. It's a current that you can't see under the surface, but it's going to take you from point A to point B that you never wanted to arrive at. 
A wolf doesn't always look like a wolf. I know that after I leave, again, savage wolves are going to come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Even from your own number. We could read that as the church, even people who come to our church might look like a sheep and be a wolf. But you also need to look at your own life that way. Even from your own number, the people you know, the people you run with, the people you've always done life with, even people from that part of your life can slip in and they can cause you to compromise. They can change the gospel and they can shift it just enough to where it still sounds good and tickles the ear and seems like it's right, but it will lead you to destruction. There can be no complacency in the kingdom of God because complacency opens the door for corruption. We have to constantly be aware, not just in our church, not just in the church, but in our own lives and hearts. Lord, where am I becoming complacent? Where am I thinking, nah, I'm good, everything's fine. Is it in your marriage? Because if you become complacent in your marriage, guess what? The door swings wide open for corruption. What area of your life is it where you are complacent? where you're just going along and not actively pursuing the kingdom. Because if you're not actively pursuing the kingdom, you are drifting back into darkness. It's one or the other. There is no staying in place. It's pursuit or it's drift. Complacency leads to corruption. Continuing in Jude, a few verses down, it says these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. Doesn't that sound like the news channels today? Whatever we don't understand, we're going to have an opinion about it. We're going to talk for 45 minutes about it, and we're not going to know what we're talking about. Whatever we don't know, we speak abusively against. What is the implication the implication is that we are supposed to understand or make sense of everything. Is that how the kingdom works? No. What does it say in Isaiah? My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. You're not going to get it all. You're not going to understand it all. They were speaking abusively against what they did not understand and what they do understand by instinct. These are the very things that destroy them. Think about the reality of that statement, the things that we instinctively understand, those are the things that destroy us. The things that come naturally to us, the things that in our flesh we naturally want to say, we naturally want to do, the, the things we naturally want to pursue, that's what's going to lead us down the wrong path into the kingdom of darkness. We cannot trust ourselves. I hate when I hear people say, just follow your heart. Follow it back to darkness. It says in Genesis that every inclination of a person's heart is only evil all the time. You going to follow that? Then you're following only evil all the time. The heart is deceitful above all things, it says in Jeremiah. You cannot trust your heart. You can only trust the Word of God. That is what tells us what we are to do. Not our heart, not our instinct. Our instinct destroys us. It destroys us. These men, the ones who secretly slipped in, they are blemishes at your love feast. Now, everybody stop there. When I started reading Jude, I said, what is a love feast? Anybody else? 
what is a love feast? I did not know that term, but all it is is a time of communion where you're sharing a meal together. It's like hanging out with your friends eating dinner, okay? Going to a coffee shop like we do on Tuesdays with my small group, hanging out. That's what it meant, okay? So these people who slipped in secretly to the church, they were even at the love feast, at the meal that all the believers were sharing together, eating without the slightest qualm. They didn't feel conviction that they were there. They wanted to be there. Why? To bring in corruption. These people, it says, look at these analogies, y'all. blows me away. They are shepherds who feed only themselves. Each one of you in this room this morning, you are a shepherd. You are shepherding someone. Someone is following you. If you have children, you are shepherding their hearts. Those of you who serve here in any capacity, you are shepherding our guests. We all are a shepherd in some capacity. Are we only fattening up ourselves? That was so convicting to me. The time that I spend with God, is it only for me to gorge on it myself or am I to then turn around and teach it to my children, to share it with my small group, to to hear a word from God and say, I believe this was meant for you or am I just fattening up myself? They are shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain. In other words, these people are unproductive, right? They're not producing what they are meant to produce. They are blown along by the wind. Is that not... A great description of us today. Something new comes out and, oh, we follow that. It's like squirrel, you know. We follow this and then something else comes out. We follow that. Blown along by the wind. No, we are to be rooted in Jesus Christ. We are to fix our eyes on him so that we're not going to be blown along by every wind that comes out. Autumn trees, it says they are, without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. Why? Because it didn't produce the fruit it was supposed to produce. And it's uprooted. Are we uprooted trees? Are we rainless clouds? Are we fat shepherds with starving sheep? Look at these next analogies. They are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame, wandering stars. Is a star meant to wander in space? It's meant to be fixed, right? Think about the North Star. We know where it is. We navigate by the North Star. I mean, not really us. Back in the day they did, right? They're to be fixed in space. These people who secretly slipped in among the believers were the opposite of everything they were supposed to be doing. But did did the people around them notice? No. Do we notice when there are secret wolves that slip in among us, not just in our church, but in our lives, in our culture? Are we aware of that? Guys, listen to me. The kingdom's ways are the opposite of the culture's ways. And so if we're comfortable with the culture, we're rejecting the kingdom. And we don't notice that it's opposite because it feels right. Are you tracking? It feels right, but it's absolutely wrong. Continue. These men are grumblers and fault finders. I've never been in a church where there's a grumbler or a fault finder. Have y'all? I'm not talking about four points. I've been in some places though where that's people's spiritual gift is grumbling and fault finder. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. And listen, it's easy to look at other people 
and see them as these fruitless trees and as these rainless clouds and as these fat shepherds, but we got to turn the microscope on ourselves, right? Is this me? Am I a grumbler? Am I a fault finder? Am I flattering people for my own advantage? What is contrary to the kingdom is normal to the culture. When people look at you and they look at me and they think of the church, they need to think that we are upside down people. And if they don't think we are upside down people, then we have conformed to the culture. Therefore, our impact will be minimal. We have to, if we're gonna pursue the kingdom, we have to understand that we are gonna be opposite of our culture. So the question then becomes, well, what do we do about this? How do we protect ourselves? How do we protect our church? How do we keep from drifting back into darkness? Guess what? Jude had a solution for these people. And you know what it was not? It was not pointing fingers of condemnation at these fault finders and grumblers. It was not calling them out on social media for the love, somebody say amen. It was not focusing on what everybody else was doing. No, he said, but you, but you, dear friends, you build yourself up in your faith. You pray in the spirit. You keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. You see, if we're gonna be kingdom people, you know what we gotta learn? That you gotta do you. You gotta quit worrying about what everybody else is doing. You gotta quit calling everybody out. Not, not that there's not a place to call people out. There is a godly way to call people out, but it's not on Facebook and it's not in public most of the time. And listen, it is not until you have done the work on you that is required so that you can stand in a clear conscience because you know God has called you to call them out. That's the proper order of things. You do you. If you focus on your faith, if you pray in the Spirit, if you wait for the mercy of God, then you will know how to extend the mercy of God. Be merciful, he says. Funny how that works, right? You wait for the mercy, you'll receive it, and then you can be merciful to those who doubt. I love this image. Snatch others from the fire. Those godless men who secretly slept, st- not slept, secretly slipped in, guess where they're headed? They're headed for the fire. And Jude doesn't say, kick them all the way so they can fall faster. He says, no, you snatch them. If they're there with you, they are your responsibility. I have allowed them there so you can be the one to snatch them from the fire, not so you can kick them into it. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy. We need mercy in our world today, mixed with fear. I need y'all to underline this if you write in your Bibles. Hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. What is it in your life that is stained and is corrupted? You know what he says to do with it? Hate it not tolerate it, not say, well, this is just how our culture is. This is the way of the world. No, we are to hate it. 
I love the book of Jude because not only does he tell us, hey, this is what's happening, but he tells us, hey, this is what we do with it. Guys, if we are kingdom pursuers, if you are going to be a kingdom man or a kingdom woman, you have to understand that all hell literally will come against you. But you are not hopeless. You are not helpless. There is a way to stand against what comes against you. And it is the power and the blood of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. That's how we stand against it. That's what enables us to show mercy and snatch others from the fire and do what we need to do ourselves. You see, we're so worried about what everything around us has going on. We are so worried about why they are not pursuing the kingdom and what they're doing. Guess what? Kingdom spreads first inside before it spreads outside. We can't look at the world around us and condemn it when we ourselves have parts of who we are not surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We can't condemn an unbelieving world for behaving in unbelieving ways when we believers are behaving in unbelieving ways, when we are living unsurrendered lives, when we are not pursuing the kingdom. It spreads first inside of me before it ever spreads to you. It has to consume me before it can consume us. What would this world look like if we each focused on ourselves instead of all the problems that we see around us? I don't think it would look like what it looks like right now. And this is one of the hardest things that we have to acknowledge that to truly pursue the kingdom, we have to admit we're not operating in it yet. It's kind of like when alcoholics go to AA, the first step is the admission of a problem. The same thing is true in the kingdom of God. We can't be a kingdom person until we acknowledge that we're not a kingdom person. And guess what? You don't either become, you don't become a kingdom person on one day and stay that way for the rest of your life. You have to be in pursuit of it. You surrender more and more of yourself to the kingdom every single day. It's an on going journey. If you think that you are fully consumed by the kingdom today, guess what? You're not because you're prideful. There's always more of yourself to give to the kingdom, to surrender, not to work for, not to try to earn. There's not enough that you can do to be a kingdom person. It's all about laying it down. It's all about surrender. And that is what is so stinking hard about being a kingdom person. In one of our staff meetings, we were talking about why it's so difficult to be a person of the kingdom. And I, I thought this, it's because I have to question everything. Side note, my daughter saw a shirt the other day that said question everything except your mother. And I felt that on a spiritual level. <laughs> we have to question everything, don't we? Every motive that we have, every behavior, every word that comes out of our mouths, what we eat, what we drink, where we go, what we spend. If we're to be a kingdom person, there can be no stone that's left unturned, right? We gotta flip it all upside down. That's what's so hard about being a kingdom person. There's no complacency. It's not constant work, but it's constant awareness, constant discernment, constant surrender. In the book of Luke, there are people who bring their little children to Jesus and his disciples get mad and say, no, he didn't want them. And Jesus says, no, 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 let them come to me because to receive the kingdom of God, you have to receive it like a little child. None of us wants to be thought of as childlike, do we? 
We want to have it all together. We want to be thought of as having known the answers to questions. But if we're going to receive the kingdom like a child, we have to come in humility. Think about the last time you went on a walk with a little child. What did they stop to look at? Everything. That's us. If we're going to receive the kingdom, we got to stop and look at everything. I want to close with this analogy. Raise your hand if you have ever heard of or can picture in your mind's eye Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. You know who I'm talking about? Okay, so Prince Harry is the grandson of the current, king, uh, current queen. His dad is going to be the next king. He is of royal lineage, right? He married Meghan Markle, who was not a royal, but she is now through marriage. The two of them were in the kingdom, right? Until they decided they would rather not be in the kingdom. Now, they moved away. Did that take away his royal blood? Does that mean he is not technically part of the kingdom anymore? He will always be a royal heir, but he turned his back on the kingdom. Why? The demands were too hard. The blessings of being a royal for him and his wife did not outweigh the burdens. It was too hard for them. The constant scrutiny, what was demanded of them, was too much for them. And I can't help but think that that is how many Christians are today. We want the blessings. We want the name royal heir, but we don't want any of what comes with it. We cannot be people who choose just to receive the blessings without also living for the kingdom, turning our lives upside down. Because this life is not about us, right? If you are a royal heir in the United Kingdom, life is not just about you. You are there to serve the people, right? You're to be an ambassador for the kingdom. Same. We are here to be ambassadors for the kingdom. This is not all about us. But are we choosing to turn our backs on the kingdom because what's asked of us is too hard? I will not lie to you and say that pursuing kingdom life is easy. It is not, but it is rewarding. It is the only thing that really matters. Everything else is a worthless pursuit. It will turn you into a rainless cloud, a fruitless autumn tree, a wandering star, a fat shepherd. And that is not what we have been called to become. We have been called to become the righteousness of God. And that only happens when we surrender ourselves to our Lord Jesus. So the question this morning starts with this, which kingdom are you in, darkness or light? You're in one or the other. And what are you gonna do next? We all have a next step, right? We did a sermon series at the beginning, uh, actually at the end of last year, the next right thing. What's your next right thing? We all have one. But listen, please listen. It is not about striving. It is not about working. It is not about doing. It is about giving yourself, surrendering. What is God asking you to lay down and surrender to him this morning? If you ask him, he will not remain silent. Let's all ask him in this moment. Father, would you show us, first of all, where we stand 
God, if we have not surrendered our lives to you, help us understand that we are in the kingdom of darkness and we will remain there unless we give ourselves to you. And if we are in the kingdom of light with you, if we are in the kingdom of God with you, then Lord, show us what else we need to surrender. That's what our human life consists of, is ongoing never-ending, continual surrender. So show us, God, what is standing between us and you so that like the rich young ruler, we will not walk away with our faces falling, but that we will walk away with our faces lifted up, looking towards you, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let our lives be marked by surrender. Let our church be walked by pursuit of the kingdom. Let us be a people with nothing between us and you. Every morning, God, provoke us to pray the prayer, God, I am yours. Today is yours. My thoughts are yours. My ways are yours. I will not take a step until I hear your voice saying behind me, this is the way, walk in it. Let us choose to give ourselves to you because when we do, we will be in pursuit of the kingdom and everything will change, not just for us, but for the surrounding kingdom of God. Lord, we love you and we are so grateful for who you are. This morning, if you are in this room or if you're watching online and you want to move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, this is how you do it. You say, Jesus, I'm yours. I surrender my life to you. And if you make that decision, we at Four Points wanna know because we wanna walk with you in pursuit of the kingdom. So you can simply text the word ALIVE to the number on the screen, 864-606-3600. You will receive a message back from us where we want to walk with you. That's what we're here for, guys. Everybody look at me. That's what the church is here for, to walk with each other in pursuit of the kingdom. That's why we exist, to do it in here so we can do it out there so we can take the light that's in us, shine it in the darkness of the world. How can you do that this week? Be a light wherever you go. Ask the Lord, show me, and he will. You guys stand and worship with us as we close.